Welcome to Brillante, the podcast with a French accent which gives a voice to women who move the lines. My name is Jeanne Dussartel, and between Zurich, where I live, and Paris, where I come from, my goal is to meet the sparkling, powerful, talented and inspiring women with atypical backgrounds and beautiful projects, to understand what drives them and makes them move forward. Discussions that I hope will encourage you to think outside the box, cross your boundaries and develop your own brilliant projects. Anna Stunzi is the president of Forhaus, the Swiss think tank dedicated to foreign policy and a researcher at the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research. But that's not all. At barely 30, the young woman is also the founder of a solar energy startup and member of the board of Gemeinsamsnacht, an association that looks after the integration of migrants in Zurich. If I had to define Anna in one world, I would say committed. Two themes in particular are dear to her, environment and migration. In this discussion, Anna explains why her work in the private sector and in associations has always been an excellent way to feed her academic research and vice versa. In research, you very often or sometimes in your perfect world where everything works or how it should work and then uh, having a project where you actually talk to the people you're writing about gives everything uh, another light or a new perspective too and I think that's not just only interesting but also very important to also to always reflect and, and mirror yourself and what you're working on. We talk about her mission as the president of the Forhaus and I question her about the concrete impact of think tanks on public policies. Together, we also talk about the status of women in the male-dominated world of academic research and how universities should adapt to the modern world. You're definitely seen and perceived differently as a woman than as a man, I think not just in, in my field and also not just in research. And I kind of took it as a even bigger motivation to say like I'm gonna do it I want to be heard I want to be a teacher as well I want to become a professor I want to I want to do all that and I want to make sure that women are becoming more and more representative also in academia Anna who also dances one hour every day shares with me her secrets for remaining productive and managing so many activities at the same time as you will have understood Anna is definitely inspiring and enriching, that kind of personality you won't meet every day. So plug in your headphones, it's time for the new episode of Brilliant. Dear Anna, thank you very much for accepting my invitation. I'm super happy to have you and to talk to you about uh, all your projects, about research, about uh, foreign politics, about think tank in general, about academia and environment, of course. We have many topics to talk about now, but to start with, I always like to know, what did you think when you heard this name, Brillante, for the first time? And do you have an example of a sparkling woman, someone that has been inspiring you that you would like to tell me about? Well, first of all, thanks a lot for, for actually coming here to the Foraz office. I'm, I'm very glad to, to make this conversation with you. Yeah, <laughs> there's so many sparkling women around me. And, and I think I have some more on, the, on a kind of professional level where I feel uh, 
they really inspire me the way they, they work or talk. For example, Kirsten Dunlop, the CEO of Climate Kick. I saw her once at a panel and she was, every word that she was, was perfectly on the point. And I felt like she really got the way and how you communicate problems and how you also address maybe some uncomfortable truth. Then maybe more on a personal level, I have, yeah, I have a lot of women around me. And uh, for example, my two flatmates, they really inspire me every day in just a way they try new stuff and also they, they walk the talk. I don't know, they create our balcony to be a paradise for bees, which I think is so nice and just like do uh, do the stuff and not just talk about it. Um, or or the, the choreographer I dance the most with, Natasha, just a way on how you have to let yourself go and go with the music and, and express words or opinions just by moving. So now we understand that you have basically yeah two main subjects, environment, but also dancing. I, I read <laughs> that you were actually a big fan of dancing. Yeah. Is it something that you always had since you are a child? No, actually not. Um, I, I danced a bit in, in primary school, but then I stopped. I, I played basketball for a long time. And then I um, after school, I went to, to South America and there I started dancing again. And then I came back and um, then I kind of, yeah, it took me. And, uh, what kind of dancing do you do? Mostly jazz dance and mm -hmm. a little bit of, of hip hop and yeah, trying new stuff. But for me, it's really, this is the way on how to, to get my mind off the problems and the screen and the, and the writing. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I solved most of my problems actually while dancing. You're still doing it every single day? I try. Now, now during Corona times, it's a bit more difficult. So uh, you dance more at home, alone inside which is very different to how we used to dance but yeah I try to do it every day very nice so tell me more uh, where were you born and raised and uh, what kind of childhood did you have so I was born in Krisnacht uh -huh. and then I grew up in Krisnacht and the so just next to Zurich next to Zurich exactly yeah. and then uh, when I was 15 we moved to Talwil which is also next to Zurich but the other side of the lake Well, I had a very nice childhood, I have to say. I have a, a sister and a brother. We got along very well. My mom and my dad, they were very caring and they were very supportive in whatever our plans were. Like we all have kind of different plans that converged again more and more now uh, the older we become. But we had a very nice, very nice childhood growing up in a, with a big garden, playing outside a lot. Uh, me, I, I read a lot. I loved reading books. I could spend the whole weekend reading. And then, uh, well, after the sixth class in primary school, I, I went to Zurich to, to high school. And uh, I, I think since then, my kind of the middle point of my life is actually in Zurich. So you feel like a Zurich girl? Yes, <laughs> yes I think I can say so. <laughs> um, so just after your, your A-level, your Matura, you've been starting studying with uh, psychology and economics. And economics is going to follow you until the end of your studies, where you're still studying economics because you are now in your postdocs in economics. So I was wondering, why did you choose to study economics? Also psychology, because it came in your bachelor. How did you make your choice? And also, since the very beginning of yeah this, this first year of studies, you are engaged for the environment to make the world more sustainable. So is it a passion that you have inside of you for a really long time? Where does it come from? How was it born? Okay, I, I think I have to answer that these questions separately. So um, yeah. actually already during, during high school, I used to get up early in the morning because I had to go to high school. Uh, the same with my dad. He, he had to go to work. And um, 
I think my family all together, we were kind of, we grew up uh, with a very conscious way of living, uh, kind of uh, on sustainability and on preserve things and, and, and on do not waste food and don't fly too often on holidays and stuff. So I think and during these kind of early mornings, when we used to read the newspaper together and then walk down to the train station, we had a lot of conversations about about sustainability, about nature. Yeah, this had a, a big impact. Uh, this was a big impact. It was kind of big impression on me as well, and and I think that was kind of where I realized that I really care about about so your parents nature and are a big part of the sensibilization yes, that you received. Definitely, yeah, definitely. And then after high school, I did not directly start to study. I went to South America, to Mexico, and to Cuba, and there. I mean, I didn't work at all in, in any environmental business. I, I was actually a dance teacher there. and uh, I had, um, Like a gap year or something just to, exactly, to change exactly. and to discover a new... My, my basic idea was I wanted to go away. I felt like I, I really wanted to go to Mexico. I don't really know why, mm -hmm. but I felt like this is the country that kind of attracts my heart. I have to go there. So I went there and then I, I, I lived there for a month and then I went to Cuba And there I worked at the university uh, teaching students in German. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there I realized how many possibilities we have here in Switzerland. I don't know, a very small example, but when I flew back from Cuba to Mexico, the first thing that kind of caught my eye when I arrived at the airport was a big supermarket and all different type of yogurts that you could buy. And in Cuba, you could barely get one. And that was like... It was just this, this this sheer amount of food and, and stuff that we have and that, that is available to us, but then also, yeah, all the issues that come with that. It made me realize that we can change a lot if we want to and that I, me, being in Switzerland, I have a lot of means to do that. And, and I guess that was an important point in my life and kind of felt like I... You have I to wanna do something. I want to do something, exactly. Yeah. And then I think I was always interested in, in human beings and how they are, how they behave, how they decide. Not so, I, I didn't see myself as a, as a psychologist, for example. I, I think I, I was more interested in like on how groups decide together and, and also then how you can, of course, make change happen. And I think that's why I actually chose psychology first. Psychology was my, my major. Yeah. I think uh, I just wanted to get to know that a bit better okay and the economics beside was really having like the other perspective because uh, in economics both behavioral economics for example you have very similar problems or issues that you address but with a different perspective than for example social psychology and i think it was very nice combination and then um, the longer i studied uh, i felt like the way was paved towards economics more and uh, that's why i also switched in for my master what did you learn that you are still using during your studies, your bachelor studies? From psychology? Yeah. Oh, a lot. And like realizing some patterns that can come up during a discussion, for example, when you also, for, when you look, for example, at, at the gender patterns that you see in bigger discussions or who speaks how, and then also how you can potentially react to that, the impact of, of peers that we can always observe the, the way you compare yourself to others. So a lot from social psychology I actually still use also in my research now. But then you, so you decided to focus more on economics. Um, was it because maybe you have a more concrete impact or more concrete results with economics? You can quantify what you're doing in a way? Maybe that played a minor role too, but I think it was mostly this macro perspective that 
interest me the most. And mm-hmm. I think the studies in psychology, which is super interesting, but they focus a lot of, of the, on the therapy and, and on, on curing as well. And I was more on, on this if psychology and the social psychology part and in economics with the, with macroeconomics and then yeah behavioral economics. I felt like at the University of Zurich where I studied, I had kind of a broader range of, of lectures and, and questions to look at. So I decided to change. And at this time, you kind of started already working a bit with Forhouse. You got involved also for the Green Party. So you always had a lot of uh, sites, activities besides your studies. Are you this kind of a uh, woman that cannot stop doing things? <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. I do feel my days, that's definitely true. And uh-huh. I, I think I was always a person who rather wants to do things than complain about it or just think about it. And, and I feel like there's so many cool project ideas. Like first, yeah, as you said, with the Greens, we had a lot of very nice, very small little projects on, on how to just, for example, shape consciousness about uh, environmental issues um, and uh, or fair trade and, and uh, fair fashion for example so a lot of topics that came up during during my life where I just felt it's it's actually more fun and you learn more if you just try it and make projects than than but yeah if you just just study. read about it or, or write about it or whatever what I also I think learned quite early was to organize my days so uh-huh. um I was going to ask you about yeah. this because <laughs> it's so impressive everything you've been doing. Like, yeah, how do you do actually? Also to keep up with the dancing, you know, I think most of the people with so many projects would just say like, okay, sports come next. Yeah. But for you, you are kind of handling everything at the same time. I mean, for me, it's definitely having a deadline or having a, a point during the day where I know I have to be finished. That helps a lot. So, you know, I have my four hours to finish that and then you just do it. Mm-hmm. I rather start. I am not really procrastinating a lot. I really started, and then I want to get it done. And like sometimes, I told myself uh, if I get up in the in the morning and I'm looking forward to something that is going to happen during the day, whether it's because of the studies, but also because of all the projects that really kind of drove me. That's good, and that's then that's how it should be. That kind of makes it much easier to have a, a full agenda. And um, with the dancing. I, I'm just so more productive after dancing. I, I think I could spend 11 hours in the office or 10, but if I have this one hour dancing between, I, I get the same amount of work done. So I think by organizing myself and, and splitting my day in those different types of activities helps me a lot to actually be much much better or also give myself more in during these times because uh, I just want to have it done then and I really want to do it and then I can also kind of get myself out of it and start the other thing the impression that you give me also when i look at all your projects and the way you actually continue your studies is that everything has been really well thought through that you were always kind of clear of where you wanted to go the fact that you were already in the far house in your bachelor the fact that you were already involved in the greens at this time also that you were starting economics that you continued with economics that you are now still passionate about the environmental issues and stuff i have the feeling that it was like a clear line i are uh, you <laughs> you're not really <laughs> no i really <laughs> no i i really didn't have this impression of myself i think um a lot of things kind of came on my way it's yeah. it was definitely not planned to be like also not be in academia for example when I started my studies I, I would never have thought that I would finish a doctorate and, and start a postdoc somewhere that was not the plan at all and I think the nice thing about having plans is is to really follow them to really 
try to reach them, but then also be able to realize, okay, this is maybe not my plan anymore. And then say it out and change your plans, adapt yourself. And uh, I think that worked very well for me. I'm very glad where I am now. But uh, yeah, I, w I would definitely not say so that everything was planned in the very beginning, that it all kind of came very nicely together. And maybe the only thing that on how this is all combined, of course, is that I, I try to, to take as much out of it as possible. So a lot of what I did, for example, with Foraus in my time as a volunteer in the in the thematic groups, helped me a lot for my for my doctorate too so my two main areas of research are actually migration and environment and I worked in both of these areas before I was too so there were a lot of synergies that I used and they co-developed with my work and, and my forest activities of course. So as we understood you got involved with the environment and I wanted to know do you think this is the topic of our generations on the next generations and What is the best way to have an impact in this field? Yeah, I, I hope it is a topic of our generation. And I think actually it is. I think within the last years, the majority of people has realized that we have to change something, that we're about to step over planetary boundaries that we're not supposed to, that is damaging not just nature itself, but also our lives and, and the lives of future generations. And not just with climate change, of course, also with biodiversity, uh, with soil overuse, with water there, there's so much that we're at the moment having to tackle when it comes to the environment it is definitely one of the biggest challenges that we have as humankind and there are so many different ways on how to address this like i feel with research if you're also ready to step out and talk about it see like these are the implications of my research for example you can have a very big impact with us of course we try to have an impact as well uh, more on this foreign policy level then uh, i also admire all the ngos the civil society that works on very different topics on the environment of course also the fridays for future movement everybody who actually engages whether it's on a professional or on a on a volunteer basis i think there's so so many ways on how you can address the issue And um, I hope this all sums up to really make the difference. Would you say that there is kind of a clash in generations? I think whenever something is being criticized, of course, the ones who, who have kind of built up the previous system, they kind of defend it. Uh, and this, this comes to a lot of political questions, of course. But I wouldn't say that there is in itself just a generation clash uh, when it comes to the environment. I feel like there are a lot of people that are older than me who also work on these topics. So I've done a lot of work already, like since, yeah, since half a decade, uh -huh. basically, uh, mm -hmm. or even longer. So, uh, I mean, more and more people are, of course, concerned with all the environmental problem. More and more people are aware of everything that we have to do to change things and that there must be a change. But, you know, this Greta Thunberg has been in the media and really she has been described as being yeah, the younger generation coming and been really criticized by older generations. Also, and the way she was talking about the environment or just communicating that there is this idea behind for, for some people. I mean, we all already see the impacts of climate change, but the generation of Greta of course, will live with it their whole life. And it's it's not so easy anymore to say, like, we will have an issue, uh, like the future generations will have an issue because they're already here. And I think uh, that makes the, the problem much more 
tangible and this cares of course this is scary for for those who don't want to change or who are scared of specific changes and this is exactly the task of policy and also of research to on how to address those who are scared uh, how to take everybody with us and and how how to change the system completely but not just for for the win of, of a few but really make well-being and a more broad concept of welfare kind of the goal of policy so during your master's uh, in economics still i guess you were already focusing in your research uh, maybe with your thesis and stuff with on the environment and on migrations as you said you also worked on different projects in the private economy so there was this swiss clean tech which was this organization where you've been working for around one year can you tell me what were you doing exactly there i think you were working with solar impulse yes exactly so yeah after my bachelor i kind of stopped working for the zurich insurance company there was very different type of project and then I started with Swiss Clean Tech which is a, an economic association but kind of these were always projects that you were doing besides I mean yes. at the same time yes. and Zurich Insurance was like a kind of a, a student job it, it started as a student job and it became like I worked there for three years but uh, yeah. for me it was very important to always work besides studying because uh, I felt like I can at least try to see and where can I bring in the things I learn in university so what is the application of it or or yeah, the idea what are actually the yeah everyday challenges or whatever of course you needed money maybe but it was not the main aim in no. the end it no. was more to kind of really directly apply what you were learning yeah and or just get other experiences and other 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 skills yeah so i started working at uh, swiss clean tech in a in a new group uh, on economy and society we were looking at different aspects of of how the economic system and, and society kind of interact But then um, this campaign came up, The Future is Clean, which was in collaboration with uh, Solar Impulse. And uh, that was actually a, a very inspiring project for me too. Um, Bertrand Picard, who decided to fly around the world, and our campaign uh, kind of accompanied him mm -hmm. on this way. We tried to gather as many organizations as possible around the world to stand behind this claim that with uh, well, clean technologies, a lot is possible. We are able to fly just with the use of, of solar energy. And the goal of all of this whole campaign was to bring it to the to the climate conference in Paris and be one of these examples to show that what is possible already um, if we just want it and if we just do it. A lot of people didn't believe that he will make it, but he did. And um, yeah, be a, one of these examples and that, that policy has to follow and that the economy or, or kind of very cool innovative ideas are already ready. What were you doing exactly there? So there was uh, co-leading the whole, like the campaign from Swiss Clean Tech side. Uh, so we employed people with very different language skills and they were basically calling organizations all over the world, trying to gather them behind this idea and planning this campaign together with Solar Impulse. So the idea of this uh, association was really to kind of put all the strengths of the companies of the private sector together to kind of have an impact on the public policies. I think this is interesting because this is a way that you are always going to work on, like to kind of make the link between private sector and research or research and private sector and to really find a way to have an impact on the two worlds, which are quite often separated, right? Absolutely. And trying to, to show examples on how it already works. And, and then bring that in as, as inputs and 
what could be different and what problems we still have to address. I learned a lot during the time at, uh, at Swiss Cleantech, definitely. And at the same time, you also started a project of your own, also on clean energy. So I don't know exactly how you pronounce it, but it's called Gobo. Geoey. Geoey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> there was a, an idea that I had with my brother and a friend of his, the both uh, uh, architects, architects, exactly. And we realized, yeah, that there there could be a lot of nice, especially solar projects in Switzerland, but that we lack a bit the skills and, and bring together the kind of this financial perspective on, on why does it pay to have a solar panel on your roofs, but then also combine it with very aesthetical values for example that you want to have a, a, nice, a nice house a nice house and yeah. or yeah. Uh, or how to include a, a panel in in your facade or in a wall instead of just putting them on the roof and stuff and we just tried and we had some very interesting projects we we never really kind of took off in in putting as, as many panels on the roofs or whatever but just try to um, develop projects that could be interesting and how you can use solar panels, for example, and how you can uh, use renewable energies. In so basically, you were in your master's and you became an entrepreneur yep. with your brother. Yeah. So that's quite impressive. You were quite young. You just had a bachelor at the, at the moment. How do you do to make yourself credible in a way? <laughs> <laughs> I think the three of us, we were all very keen in this topic. We were all very interested. So we read a lot and we soon realized there's like, there's something to say and we can sell it. I think we were convincing just by being like, hey, we're the generation who can bring it to you. And uh, we have the skills. I mean, they finished architecture. I was studying economics. I, I took the financial accounting classes and so on. So we kind of showed that we, we know some of the business but then we were also very honest saying like listen we haven't done this project before we will have to spend time on researching on that but if you want to work with us we who, will do it who was your first client <laughs> the very first real clients were actually our parents because they needed they did reconstruct their house and so we went actually up on the roof and installed the solar panels ourselves to just get to know and how it how it works like how do you plug them together where, where do you see the the issues there was a very insightful uh, experience definitely <laughs> and then you had some project that you can tell us about that were like maybe the biggest project or the most interesting one so one because you are still i mean it is still going on you it is still, still ongoing work. it is yeah. still ongoing but uh, we kind of like this year we didn't have any activities me i had to okay. finish uh, well i finished my, my phd they have their own projects with with the architecture bureau they have beside uh, or actually as their main job So the, the nice thing about having such a small company is that we don't really have to earn money there. Yeah, We can only take projects that we're interested in. You have the structure and the communication. Yeah, the structure and exactly. kind of a consulting company. You don't need yeah. to invest a lot. You basically, when you start working, you, you start working, money. but it's you don't need like so much pre-investment. Um, one very interesting project that is... Uh, kind of still on hold is was the idea of combining a well a wall against the noise from a highway with solar panels, kind uh -huh. of paying off the the costs for the wall through the selling the electricity, which I think would make totally sense. So we see maybe this still comes up in the future. Maybe we can just take this opportunity for you to explain us a bit what is the energetic mix of Switzerland. You know how is it organized in Switzerland? I mean. If you can explain me, why is it important to work on this solar en energy? And uh, why is it for you, maybe the energy of the future? That would be, I think, interesting for everyone listening. So Switzerland was kind of um, always a forerunner 
a large part of our electricity comes from from hybrid power plants. Yeah, and then it's a like large 60, almost sixty percent, like yeah. more than fifty yeah. percent. And yeah. the large part still comes from nuclear power, and then we have uh, a growing but still small part of renewable energies. And um, the nuclear waste is a, a topic that is not solved. We don't really have a solution yet where to put it. So that is one argument that people put forward to say, like, why we should uh, change. change. So uh, from climatic perspectives, we, you don't want to change to coal or to gas, to any non-renewable resource. So And sun and wind and water, or sun and wind mostly, are actually free. You just have to harvest them. So uh, I think it's it's just a very clear thing to say, like, well, we try to use the sun. And what we see is kind of the technological development over the last years and, and what happened, how much more electricity you can get out of from the sun with better panels that we have with, with lower costs. Yeah, because the panels that we have today are quite impressive. I mean, you can stock big amounts of energy. Mm-hmm. In two years, basically, mm-hmm. it's paid. Yeah. And you can keep your panels for more 30 years or, or so. So it, it kind of makes sense. If you have the money to invest, it's quite impressive, this absolutely, technology. Absolutely. Yeah. And then this was, of course, not just coming out of the blue. It was uh, thanks to also the policy framework that we that was created in Switzerland, but also on an international level, Yeah, as I said, through technological development, for example. But yeah, it makes sense to go in this direction. And I think, of course, we have to look at all the single cases and not every project is as financially feasible as the others, but a lot of them can be made and can be done. And and I think we should go there. So typically, at the same time, we understood you were still studying. You did your master's, then your PhD, and now you are starting your postdoc. Have you been using these two experiences that we've been talking about concretely for your research? I mean, what I did look at in my research so far and what I'm still looking at is kind of mechanisms that go along with policymaking in the example of climate change, but then also humanitarian migration, for example. And one of the aspects I look at is acceptance of policies. And related to that, of course, how should you communicate policies, who probably wins and who maybe loses, and, and what can we do about that, for example. And Is that economics? That's parts of economics, or it can be parts of economics. And of course, it's a lot of political science involved, a lot of psychology involved as well. My research is very interdisciplinary. That's also what I like, including the different perspectives and mindsets, maybe. And so for researching on that, you need to know the policy framework. You need to know uh, what is planned and what is already ongoing. And of course, all of that, like working for Swiss Clean Tech, working with my own company, and the research, they all kind of went together very well on reading stuff, then seeing on like where is it already implemented or yeah, how can you use it yourself in your company when you do the calculations on whether a project is feasible or not. I guess this is also a way you are working for Four House because your research was not only at the university, it was also for this think tank. So you started working there already a long time ago, I think it was 2010 or something mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've been doing some research, voluntary first, and then you'll be in charge of the uh, energy sector. Oh, yeah. or, and uh, in 2019, so like nine years after, you became vice president and then the president of mm-hmm. the Four House. Mm-hmm. First of all, what is a think tank? <laughs> the think tank itself is, uh, I would say, an organization or a platform that thinks that tries to bring in to develop and then bring in new ideas mm-hmm. on whatever topic you could think of. But uh, Full House itself is, is also a grassroots think tank. So we say uh, we are very inclusive. Whoever is interested in the topics or is an ex- expert in a, in a specific topic can join and uh, yeah bring in the ideas. And then Full House expert is... Expert or expert to be because you have a lot of students also. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so um, we have a very diverse mix of, of people. We have a lot of... Uh, 
people researching on something. We have people who are already kind of in a company or at the government level working, and then we have a lot of students, and and they kind of mix all together from very different disciplines, but they all have this aim or or also the the willingness to help shaping foreign policy of Switzerland. So they're all interested in identifying the challenges that come up for Switzerland from outside on a global level, also from inside Switzerland, of course, and then help yeah shaping ideas, discussing them and bring them actually to those to the decision makers through for us. Are you, I mean, are the members of uh, Forhouse identifying to kind of a, a way of thinking politics? Are you really neutral as a think tank? You, I mean, you are writing papers as Forhouse. Of course, there is always the, the, the signature of the people who wrote the research, but you are also kind of mm, taking the positions on some topics. So... Would you say that this impacts the people that are coming, you know, joining for us? I mean, that, that's a big question. But I think in, in general, as a think tank, we really rely on, on the good ideas. Yeah. So whoever comes and, and brings in a line of argumentation that is based on, on science, on facts, on expertise and develops a cool idea, it doesn't matter what it is about um, I think that's that's what we want that, so that's what I'm looking for as a think tank yeah. and then as I said before we're grassroots so we're like I don't define the topics it uh -huh. is about really the person who feel like I want to say something or I have an idea they can join working either within the thematic groups that we have or just come and, and write a blog or write a paper or organize an event I mean because it's quite clear I mean when we just look at you Even if you are neutral, you have been involved with the Greens, you are really involved for the environment, you are involved for migration, you kind of have a political, we don't know what you're voting for, but still, we, we kind of know in which direction you're going, right? So it gives kind of a, a line or maybe, mm, then maybe someone that is, of course, not, not pro environment or something or is not going to join. You, you see what I mean? That, I mean, we're, we're a think that it works on, on policy. So we definitely, in that sense, uh, political that we say, like all, all of our proposals have an impact on policy. Mm -hmm. The authors bring in an idea and if, if it goes through the whole review process, it can be published in that way. We try to be as open as possible. I invite everybody who has an idea to come and join us and uh, yeah, bring yourself in into foreign policy. It's definitely needed and, and also very welcome. I really hope that we are inclusive enough and, and that's also my goal. I don't want to be exclusive in that sense that people don't think they're, they're not having the same opinion so they can't publish with us, for example. Of course, that's not the image that you have and at least that's not how you communicate. For instance, there is this nice uh, project. I think you were celebrating the two years of the Policy Kitchen, you mm -hmm. call it. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can explain it because it's. I think it gives a perfect example of the fact that you try to be as inclusive as possible. Yeah. Like within the last 10 years, with Foras, I mean, we, we've always, always relied on, on people, volunteers as me, who, who write papers, who organize events and so on. And we realized that a lot of this can happen only because we're in the same city or we can meet up and we can discuss about stuff. And uh, we felt like... And nowadays, it should actually be possible to communicate and discuss with each other also on a, on a virtual level without being in the same city. So we developed Policy Kitchen, which is a platform where we can actually collaborate together on ideas uh, with regards to foreign policy, actually on any idea, on this virtual level. And uh, we did now a lot of pilots and, and already a lot of projects where we really just 
put out a challenge, a question, and people would start thinking about this and, and working together on topics and ending up in, in, in a lot of publications, exactly. And this is, I think, you put it quite nicely. It's a, the true spirit of Voraus to really be as inclusive and also attract as many experts as possible from very different perspectives and fields to work together on foreign policy challenges. But this means that then, in this case, Switzerland is not the center anymore. Or is it always like you always try to have kind of new opinions on Switzerland or are you like kind of broadening the mm. subjects? I mean, with Policy Kitchen, we've done both. But uh, Foraus is also involved in the Open Think Tank Network. So we have uh, mm -hmm. think tanks that works like Foraus in other countries. Mm -hmm. And of course, with Policy Kitchen, that allows us also to collaborate with them, for example, much more. And the idea is to, of course, still have... Uh, ideas being published about foreign policy of Switzerland, but then also maybe give a perspective from the outside on like, yeah, this was foreign policy or also on policy challenges that are on a multilateral or international level and not just Switzerland anymore, of course, yes. Do you know, or have you been analyzing maybe, what are the topics that uh, comes up all the time that people want to write about or research about? What are the main topics, the most uh, important concerns for Switzerland? Hmm. Uh, it's 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 funny because <laughs> that really changes. I feel like there are like a few thematic groups that we have for us that kind of are very stable and and uh, diplomacy or um, uh, development, uh, politics, uh, migration, environment, and then we have newer topics coming up. For example, now we're working on digital health data. We're having a, a publication in a few weeks on on a feminist foreign policy. Uh, so we have a, a lot of new topics coming up as well, but. Uh, It really comes with the people who want to, to join for hours and who want to be a volunteer here. Okay. I would have thought like uh, maybe it's clear that there are many people that are interested into the uh, relationship between Switzerland and the EU, for instance, or the relationship with Asia or with China. These are like topics that, that seem obvious and that maybe uh, most of the students or researchers that, are, that want to really take, spend some time on the subject would, would absolutely, bring in. Absolutely. I mean, the Europe program is one of the most active programs that the, we had. Uh, you had a big just publication, publication right now. Yeah. We had one in, 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 in winter. Exactly. Uh, we had one last year. So the relationship to the European Union is one of the core topics uh, of four hours. Also, we have a group Asia, so the relationship to China or also just the relationship between Asian countries or the new uh, trade agreement that was just uh, decided a few Days ago, I think there are so many topics and uh, yeah, we have a program on peace and security. So there, there's so many topics one can work on that impact somehow or address directly Swiss foreign policy so that we're actually expanding more and more on like different topics and thematic groups. And you still, of course, focused on the environment. You just published one article about the Arctic. I wanted to take this one as an example to kind of understand what kind of impact do you have really on politics, on Swiss politics. So maybe you can explain in two sentences <laughs> the subject of your paper and tell me when you publish such a paper, what do you do with it? And how can you do to make sure that someone is really listening to what you said and what you've been researching and how can you implement it in the real life? 
<laughs> Two sentences. Okay, so the Arctic is receiving more and more attention within the last years. It's a pitch. It's a pitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, no, the, the Arctic is receiving more and more attention and Switzerland became part of the Arctic Council as an observer state. And what we say in this publication is that basically going beyond research, where Switzerland is already very strong in it when it comes to Arctic topics and sustainable development and biodiversity and so on, that there are important topics that Switzerland could bring in there when it comes, for example, to peace and security, uh, when we look at the tensions that are rising because of uh, interest in the, the natural resources there, in, in the infrastructure construction, in the trading routes that you could have. So we say, uh, we, we talk about the role Switzerland could play when it comes to the Arctic. And this publication is kind of addressing the federal departments very clearly on what they could do and how they could be involved. And it's not... Like I think it, it depends on the topic and on the publication on whom we actually address. So sometimes it's the parliament, sometimes it's the federal council, sometimes it's the departments. It can also be the international organizations, it can also be the industry. I think uh, with Fouraz we, we try to address very different actors or uh, stakeholders in, in foreign policy. So in this case, what did you do concretely? I mean, I want to understand really the concrete steps, you know, to make it clear yeah. in the head of people that actually, because the idea of a think tank, the critique against think tank would, could be that it's again a place where people are doing research that are just not implemented in a way. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think I heard you saying also that you were really often in relation, I mean, talking directly to the government, really re the direct relationship to mm -hmm. the people that are creating the politics, like mm -hmm. implementing politics in Switzerland. So... That's why I would like to really have concrete examples. No, very, uh, yeah, with pleasure. So actually, f we we launched this publication together with multiple stakeholders that are involved. We we had uh, the ambassadors of Sweden, Finland, and Norway mm -hmm. in Switzerland who got the publication and and uh, kind of talked about their perception on how Switzerland could play a role in the Arctic. And we also had the ambassador of Switzerland, who is representing Switzerland in the Arctic Council from the Federal Department of Foreign Affairs. And of course, they are the people we are we are addressing in our publication. So we tried to involve them really in, in the launch event. We asked them their opinion on the publication and we, we really want to know on what they're going to do with it now. And uh, besides that, we are also in contact, for example, with the Swiss Polar Institute now that are pursuing and kind of creating a network of, of Swiss researchers on, on polar regions. So we also want to see and like where, where could there, for example, be uh, synergies on, on future events or, or uh, yeah, talks about this topic. So we, we really try to reach out to different actors who could be involved uh, with the topics that we address in our, in our publication. But I think the most important part was really about involving the, the department that is representing Switzerland and that could take up our ideas for their own strategies. So you're now, it's wait and see now. You kind of involved everyone. They are aware and they, you have to, maybe in six months, you check what has been done. Exactly, or, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just for me to understand, uh, you are also do doing research at the university. So when you're publishing a paper at the university, is there a difference? Or are you actually doing the same? Or are you even maybe publishing papers at the same time for the uni and for four hours? How do you make the, you know, the, the, the distinction and to what extent the direct impact is also different? Yeah, I mean, my, my research and my work at the, the university is, is very different in the sense that the goal is to have academic publications. So you, you do primary research and, and you then write a paper about it and you try to publish it. And before us, 
the goal is really to kind of gather existing research and kind of mm-hmm. formulate out of that the implications for policy. So the, the language is totally different. The target, uh, the, the people that we want to address are different. Yeah, the whole structure is very different um, than, than an academic publication. So, yeah, I think that's two different things. But of course, since they're talking about this, about similar topics, sometimes you can use the synergies. And I can cite research that I look at at university in a Forhaus paper. And Okay. So you, as the president of the Forhaus, can you tell me what is your role exactly? What, uh, yeah, what is your mission and what is your goal? What what do you want to implement? So my role as a president is uh, <laughs> very broad. I, I think there are a lot of things that we could do. I, I represent the think tank. I try to, to explain what it is and what we do and, and what our volunteers do. I mean, they, they put so much voluntary work in there. It's it's amazing. I, I'm also concerned with fundraising, for example, uh, making sure that, uh, yeah, that everybody feels okay, that... Uh, that our employees in the offices in, in Zurich and Geneva feel good, uh, that the board can work. I, I have a lot of very different tasks. And also the stakeholder management, make sure that we meet the, the right people, that we that we can invite them, that we that they know about us, that they know about Fourhouse, that they can cite our papers, uh, that they know about our events. Um, it's really about representing the think tank. Mm-hmm. And um, again, on the political level, I guess. Yes. On yes. the national level and yeah. On the, and on the international level with the other think tanks. It's it's really broad. And I feel our our think tank, yeah, we have kind of different roles and tasks. We we wanna bring good ideas, fresh ideas to to the decision makers. So this is something that I really that I think is, is at the core of our think tank and uh, I wanna make sure that uh, our volunteers can do that, that they're being heard, that they're that we bring them together so that really good ideas can develop. I also want that we can, that we are considered as kind of a early alarm system of, of challenges that could come up, so that we're really kind of looking in the future and seeing like what what is what is going to happen. Where do we have to make sure that uh, we're ready with with foreign policy? Yeah, and then I think um, as I said before, when you asked me about the, about the different topics you're working on, there are so many new topics coming up that are kind of outside the the typical structures also that we have in foreign policy. I don't know when it comes to data management or, uh, yeah, now health, of course, is a very big topic. And I think making sure that all these new topics and ideas find a room and also can be discussed within Full House and then can also be published. I think that's really where, where we should go. Again, talk, talking about like the concrete implementation. Yeah, has there been something that has been concretely implemented thanks to one of your papers or thanks to one of your research? You or I'm talking about the Forhouse in general. I mean, there are so many very, very good examples where Forhaus had a, a very big impact. I think one is really the the publications of the Europe program, like some of some of their proposals on how to solve the gridlock between the European Union and Switzerland were really taken up by different parties, by the unions and and, and stakeholders, and they really discussed those those proposals. And it I really also, hope they're brought forward. It one, was also everywhere in the media. Exactly, exactly. And one author in a completely different field uh, proposed to have like alliances of cities because cities are are becoming more and more uh, important when it comes to global policy making to multilateral policy making and Geneva took this up very concretely based on the proposal of Forhaus very nice you will send me the articles and I will put them in the links below I will I will 
So we are coming to the end of the interview. There is one topic that I would like to still talk about is women and especially women in academia. I would like to maybe have your feedback. How is it for you? <laughs> How has it been for you to do your PhD here in Zurich in, at the ETH? And now you're, start, you're just starting actually your postdoc. So maybe let's talk about the, the PhD. How has it been for you as a woman? It's not an easy question, but I would like to have your feeling if it has been maybe impacting the way you've been seen, received, or maybe the fact that there are, I know that especially in economics, there are quite a lot of women in the start of the studies, like in the bachelor, and then they, the number drops. So how has it been for you concretely? Yeah, a very big question. Um, both like uh, better and worse moments, I would say. Um, like uh, you're definitely seen and perceived differently as a woman than as a man I think not just in in my field and also not just in research and I kind of took it as a even bigger motivation to say like I'm gonna do it I want to be heard I want to be a teacher as well I want to become a professor I want to I want to do all that and I want to make sure that women are becoming more and more representative also in academia so in my my specific field and and my group also we were like a lot of women um rather big group and I think rather bigger than than I would say uh, in other research fields of course and I enjoyed that a lot we I to collaborate with, exactly I think mix and having a diverse team helps always but uh, yeah of course uh, you see what you said before there are a lot of women in the early studies and then there are more and more men when it comes the higher you go in the, in the hierarchies and I think that's one of the big uh, challenges that we have to solve as well. Like, for instance, maybe the professor that you had were mostly men or yes. how was it? How has it been in the studies? Did you have like some kind of, you know, mot motivation speech from uh, the university saying, hey, women, keep up. You have to stay in the field or you... Because I know that, for instance, ETH and the University of Zurich, they do are giving special lessons, you know, to the teachers to make sure that uh, the teacher are aware that they that it's also their responsibility to keep the women and to make sure that there are more and more women studying in those scientific fields. So as a student or as a researcher, how was it? I think as a student, it was always very well appreciated um, that, that a woman is there too. And I'm, I'm before not the only woman, a woman, of course. But I didn't really kind of experience a specific support, I would say. Now in, in, in research... I did go through difficult situations, very difficult ones. And um, what is definitely clear is that, uh, I don't know, for example, networking is very different between men or between men and women. And uh, I did experience that. And I feel um, that doesn't make uh, it easier to build your own network then and to kind of, yeah, uh, just being known as a person and not just as a woman. I mean, I experienced... Also something like this, being a young journalist and uh, in a media that was just full of men and uh, just networking or going back to this specific newspaper to have a coffee was just not an option, mm -hmm. whereas it was an option for my colleagues mm -hmm. to find a job and to find a position just after. So I guess it's mm -hmm. impacting everywhere and we have to be honest about it. Mm -hmm. And in, in the more maybe private world, Um, also, you are now you are you are the face of a house uh, as a woman. I think your vice president is also a woman. Um, is it a choice? Is it something that you've been? Are people talking to you about this? 
I mean, the vice presidency, there is a man and a woman, and our board is very diverse as well. We are having the same like number of women and, and men, which I think is, is very, very important. I really like this diversity. I mean, what I, what I realize is that, of course, sometimes it helps now being a woman because I'm being invited because they need this one woman on the panel, which is then, on the other hand, first you think it may be a bit annoying because uh, I don't want to be invited because of a woman. But then I tell myself, well, if I do my, my job good, they will invite me again and um, they will hear me. They will listen to me. And uh, yeah, that works. So, I mean, I sometimes I have to force myself to accept invitations that I don't really feel comfortable or secure enough. But I think like it's super important to do it. I feel like, yeah, we, we should be there. Uh, we should be heard. And, and you are playing the role model that you would have liked to have maybe when you were younger or... Me and hundreds of women uh, that no, do course, it. No, of course, but you know, as soon as you get responsibility in your task as a woman, you kind of become a role model, and you have to. Yeah. You kind of <laughs> need to accept this role. Exactly. And exactly. to make the best out of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On this topic, also, I'm going to interview in a few weeks Sarah Sprigman, so director of the ETH. Do you have a question for her? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good question. Maybe and and like how she sees the future of, of research and academic research and the hierarchies also in, in research, the, the goals that we have uh, to achieve as researchers, but then also how does this fit with the with the world we live in now? And like, yeah. So you think that the university should adapt to the modern way of working? I think my question to, to Sarah Springman would really be on how she sees Actually, the organization of, of a university itself, like where do they put the focus on? How, how are the hierarchies set? Who is responsible for what? And how does this align with, with I don't know, for example, the much more flat hierarchies that we have in, in the private sector, for example? Would you describe yourself as a feminist? Yes. And how do you do to be a feminist? Well, I just, I just fight for equal rights for everybody, including all the women. And do you have a concrete thing that you do every week, every day, as you try to do, you know, concrete action? <laughs> I, I like concrete things, <laughs> you, you've realized. What I try to actively do is to always use the female form when I talk about professions, for example. So when I talk about engineers or doctors or whatever, I try to use the female form just to make it kind of, yeah, make it more concrete. More concrete and very much aware that it could be both genders. But by by putting the female form, it, I think, yeah, you just realize it a bit more. And some people tend to forget that. Nice one. Okay. Um, we, I didn't go really much into the topics, but I know also that you, and you said it, that you are also involved uh, since a long time on the topic of migrations. And um, you were also involved in this organization that was uh, inviting uh, Swiss people to welcome home some migrants and to cook a dinner for them. Are you still involved in this organization? Yes, yes I'm still involved. Now, this year was very hard because you're not inviting people basically because of uh, Corona. But uh, yes, I'm still involved. And I think it's, it's one of the projects that is really in my heart because uh, I feel it's so important that we meet and that we have a face that we know and not just read in the newspaper about it. Both sides, like refugees don't know a lot of Swiss people and the other way around. And by just making them to meet up and, and have a dinner together where you can talk about very simple things, about cooking, about 
culture, about food, makes you realizing who the other person is and, and makes it much easier to, yeah, to respect each other and, and also live beside each other. I saw that you were also developing the concept and it's not anymore just inviting uh, refugees for dinner. It's also inviting them in companies mm -hmm. for the day, uh, in, in different startups. There, there has been some really nice events. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are, what are your goals with this organization? It's called Gemeinsam Gemeinsamsnacht. Yeah, Gemeinsamsnacht. Gemeinsam's genau. uh, so Gemeinsamsnacht is, is this idea of, of inviting somebody for dinner and then Gemeinsamsnüni is the idea of yeah, being a company and inviting uh, refugees for a refugee or, or several to, uh, for, for one day or two day kind of not internship, but just to, to look inside the company and see what they do and how it works. The idea behind that is that, well, a lot of them are here and they're going to stay here, but they're not allowed yet to work. They, they go to language schools and so on, but during the day they'd have time and it's important for them to collect experience as well. And like, how is it here to work in different companies, different types of work? And uh, with this Commandsums Union, we also try to, yeah, to, to organize such, such encounters. So you've been meeting interesting people, I guess, through this organization? Yes, yes, a lot. A lot of new stories, a lot of very different stories of life as well, and uh, very inspiring people. Where do too. the refugees come from uh, the m most? Uh, all over. I mean, we have uh, from Afghanistan, from uh, Eritrea, yeah. Somalia. Yeah, there are different groups of people, Iran. Um, yeah. And again, this is for you because I think you are also writing about this on your research. It's also a way for you to kind of implement what you are researching on directly in the, in the real life, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in, in research, you very often or sometimes in your perfect world where everything works or how it should work. And then uh, having a project where you actually talk to the people you're writing about gives everything a, another light or a new perspective too. And I think that's not just only interesting, but also very important to also to always reflect and, and mirror yourself and what you're working on. There are more than numbers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So we are coming to the final questions now. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a new, a next exciting project that you would like to tell me about? <laughs> There's so many. So no, I mean, as you said, I already started actually working as a postdoc in, in Berlin. So I'll be hopefully traveling back and forth and kind of opening my research focus a bit from Switzerland more to, to Europe. Do you know what's going to be the subject? Do you have a yeah, subject? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to research on the acceptance of, of uh, a carbon policy and climate policy in Germany. Okay. Exactly. With Voraus, as I said, we have two publications coming up that are super exciting, one on health data and one on the feminist foreign policy, which I'm really looking forward to them. And um, yeah, we see what 2021 brings. I mean, 2020 was such a surprise. Yes. Uh, so I don't want to look... <laughs> too much to the future and where it goes but uh, I'm excited what are you scared of maybe I'm scared of of losing the motivation or the drive to just try stuff and do it I don't want to sit down for too long and I, I think yeah maybe maybe that sometimes makes me to start a bit too many projects but I really want to help changing the world and not just look at it you seem far from <laughs> From just uh, sitting down and looking at what is happening. I think that's fine. No stress. If you were a man for 24 hours, what would you do? Um, keep doing exactly what I do now and just observe on, on what changes, what is different. And 
take as much as possible out of that to yeah reflect on that when I'm a Becca woman and yeah what inspires you do you have maybe a book or a movie podcast newspaper or magazine something that has been that inspires you I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it on an object it's really the, the conversations I have with people do you try to have as many conversations as possible with the people working for Four House, for instance? How do you do? I mean, the Four House people always ins inspire me a lot, but also going out of your own bubble and talk to people who probably have another opinion and, yeah, try to understand them and, and form like, like a common uh, understanding. Gemeinsam Snacht, I guess. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. What are you proud of? I think I want to point again to Gemeinsam Snacht. I'm, I'm very proud of, of what we built up in those five years. And I'm also very proud of what we've achieved in the last year in for, at, at Voraus. Yeah, I think um, this year was really not easy. And I'm very, very impressed of, of how people put together and still publish papers, still organized events and uh, help to shape foreign policy. Nice. Who would you like to listen to in this podcast? So I think what would be interesting is maybe uh, Lea Hungerbühler, who is the president of Osilex an organization that uh, gives kind of legal advice to refugees. Uh -huh. Or um Böhler, who is uh, one of the co-founders of Mindful Money that tries to help people to realize where they want to put their money and in particular give them sustainable investment alternatives. Good ideas. Thank you very much. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> It was a pleasure to have you. Have a nice evening. You too. Thank you so much. Thanks to you who listened to this episode until the end. If you liked it, and if you want to help me grow brilliant, it's very simple. Just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform and share it with as many people around you as possible or on your social networks. This is really a great help for me. And what about taking inspiration from Anna? When we don't like something, let's try to act rather than complain. Merci à toi. Et à bientôt sur Brillante